Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hey, John. So we have a guest on today's show that you might say, if it weren't for him, we probably wouldn't be here. I definitely would not be here. Uh, yes. You would probably brew, have brewed, I think. Probably, yeah. Probably. Do you remember what your first beer that you had was from Cigar City? Uh, Maduro. Maduro? It was, yeah. And one of those old medicine bottle growler things. That leaked everywhere. The first time uh, I walked into their yeah. top room was 2012, and I had good gourd. I was there, I think, for opening, kind of opening weekend, 2009. But it's also November, and we have a nice guest on from November, which is a great cause. So you guys definitely want to give this a listen. And if you don't follow JW Brewing on Instagram, <laughs> he's been posting his face for the last two weeks. I haven't shaved. Talking about... How he's going to shave it all off. Right. All the facial hair is coming off. Our next guests are from Cigar City Brewing, Florida's best-known craft beer brewery. One is the founder. The other is the current vice president of marketing for Canarchy. Together, along with many other like-minded beer pioneers, they built a brewery, a brand, and a legacy. Their beers put Florida on the craft beer map shortly after they opened in 2009. One of today's guests actually gave Jonathan his start in commercial brewing after tasting one of his home brews while watching a college football game, specifically UM versus FSU. The other is responsible for keeping that legacy alive and guiding Cigar City into the future. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Joey Redner and Justin Clark. It is a absolute honor to have both of you guys on here today. It's, uh, it's been a while coming, to say the least. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us, man. So... Obviously, Maria and I know you guys really well. Obviously, I know you. I think it's now going well over a decade. <laughs> you know what I mean? But most of our listeners don't. So excuse me up front for asking you questions that you and I know the answers to. So first question that we'll start with, you know, we'll start with Joey. Joey, where are you originally from and what did your folks do for a living? Uh, I am I'm born and raised in Tampa, Florida. I'm a sixth generation Floridian, uh, both sides. Um, my my father uh, was kind of like me, sort of a serial entrepreneur, but he he found success in uh, uh, strip clubs. Um, he he owns one that's still still going strong today. After God, it's how long has it been pushing, now? I mean, mid '80s, so pushing 40 years. Mons, uh, Mons is that? Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah, um, Mons Venus. Um, yeah. He, he's owned other over the years, but that's it's only when he still has. You know, my my mom. Uh, she's in some ways like my dad. She's done many things over the years. She's done computer IT work. She's uh, she's been a writer. She's um, got. I I know when. <laughs> When I remember when I was a little kid, uh, her job was she was the person who took the photo finishes, the Greyhound racing track. Because really? I remember as a kid, she would bring home the photos and I just would like sit and stare at them for hours because I was so fascinated by how you could capture one frame. That's amazing. Um, she, was a, she was a bail bondsman for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you doing before you kind of got into craft um, beer? Like- yeah, you know, I, um, uh, so, I, so I was a, a, a English and writing major, and um, you know, was uh, you know, as you, you had remarked earlier before the show started, um, you know, I'd, I'd written uh, I'd written about craft beer. Um, I I own I owned a bar where I really tried to push craft beer a lot uh, called Yeomans, which is still around. It was uh, I sold it to to a couple, and then they sold it to uh, a group that does Ford's Garage. Um, okay. and then they started Yeomans and so, so it still exists. Uh, it's not quite as craft beer focused, but you know, craft beer is kind of everywhere now. So it's hard to find a place that doesn't have some, uh, which is, which is a, a good thing from my point of view. But, um, 
you know, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of worked in a lot of different fields. My last actual job um, that I paid outside that wasn't like a freelance gig, because I took a lot of freelance writing gigs uh, wherever I could just try to keep trying to be a writer, um, was I worked for, I worked with developmentally disabled gentlemen. Um, and I, one of my last jobs before starting the brewery was literally, I had to pick this guy up and uh, well, I had to pick up a busload of guys and take them out to side of their work kind of area where they would work. And um, the lady who was like the house, the night house lady, she was much smarter than me. And she <laughs> didn't know that I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing or not. I'm supposed to just pick these guys up, take them there, make sure they're safe, get them, get them where they're supposed to go. Was it at that point in time that you decided to open the brewery? And- no, I was, I was, uh, I, I was working on it, but you know, I needed, we just needed a little bit of extra income. My wife was making good money. Um, she was in telecom. She was making good money, but you know, just to keep some, some money coming in. Um, I, I took that job. Uh, I also had a part-time job working for FedEx. Uh, and <laughs> you'll, you'll appreciate this. I did it mostly a, a, a little bit for the money, but B, because you got 50% off of shipping, um, ah. and I was shipping, I was shipping beers, you know, all over the country, and and even to like Denmark and stuff. And so when you were shipping beers to Denmark, that really was a big savings. Absolutely. Uh, but you remember in those early days of craft beer, like, yep. you, you know, one of the ways that you got to try new beers, especially in Florida, because it was just such a wasteland here, we just didn't have access to much. Nope. Um, Not and at there all. was so much really cool beer coming out of Denmark, so. I would, you know, I'd it, it, to, to actually ship it would to be two, three hundred bucks, but you got fifty percent discount. Um, so that's that was awesome. Huge. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. kind of run me back on the clock because I remember obviously when you guys started, but when you guys really started hitting kind of the Facebook. Trying to think back and then, are we talking like oh seven when you guys really first started initially? Kind of the idea. Uh, yeah, I think I, I incorporated in, I believe, October of 07, and my kids were born the next month, my first two kids. Um, and then, but, you know, it was, that was sort of like the beginning process. Um, I think we actually started build out in 08. Um, you know, so I was really working on, still, still working on sort of formulating the business and all of that. So it's was, it was like really 08 that we sort of put put the first sort of shovel in the ground, so to speak. Right. Uh, and then and then it was 09. Uh, we actually had beer ready to sell right at the end of 08, but the city um, turned our our power off, so we couldn't even plug a pump in to you know to move beer. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, um, that was a whole story. <laughs> but. But yeah, it's really it was oh nine really when we began to actually sell beer. But I had I had gone through the process. I basically created a blog, kind of the writer in me, to sort of document yeah the, every step of the way of what it took um, from a regulatory standpoint, um, dealing with contractors, equipment purchases, um, you know, all of that. I just sort of documented it, and I would do like a kind of you know a photo blog post where I would you know put some photos up and then talk about really almost like just a day a slice you know, a slice of life, you know, day in the life kind of thing um, of what it would took to open a brewery. Because, you know, when I was doing it, there was way less resources um, oh, yeah. about how to go about it. And oh, yeah. what there was usually was for a scale that was so far beyond what I was doing um, that it just wasn't applicable. So so I figured, well, if I don't know, there's got to be tons of other people that don't know. Plus, you know, hey, it'll drum up, you know, it'll drum up business to let people know what I'm up to. No, absolutely. I actually remember reading that blog and like in anticipation of when you guys were going to open and then finally obviously when you guys opened in 09 i think i was making a trip every two weeks up there to go because you guys had the 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 bar pseudo bar where you were filling the growlers in the old 15 barrel system side and that's where you guys would go i'd go and load up obviously and then drive it all the way back down to miami but talking about that original location you guys started on spruce street how how did you guys go about financing the opening of that brewery? Um, so my original plan was to was start really small with like a one to five barrel system that I was going to scrape together. And, you know, I was writing the beer blog. Um, my dad at the time knew, um, you know, that I was, you know, getting just ridiculously into into beer. Um, and I, but but originally it was just going to be me and my wife just scraped together, you know, because if you really, you know, it's not good <laughs> and you know you could start a brewery for about 50 60k now it's going to be obviously you basically got a little homebrew system that's really amped up 
Um, and it's not super profitable to do it that way, but I figured, well, if I do it this way, I'm not risking much and, um, you know, it'll, it, it, it'll sort of be the test case. If it works, it works. Um, but around that time, you know, my dad kind of had come into a, a little bit of money and he reached out and said, look, if you want to do this, um, I'll loan you the money and, um, and then you can, you know, just pay me back with cash flow. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it bigger. So, um, I decided to upgrade and go start with a 15, which is massively bigger than what I thought I'd start with. Um, and then I went to him basically and said, look, instead of paying back the loan, you know, it's going pretty well. If you want, I'll let you convert it into equity. And he was, he's no dummy. <laughs> he, <laughs> right. he said, I'll take that deal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I actually have it documented actually. So on January 30th, 2009, you guys actually brewed your first commercial 15 barrel batch of Maduro Brown. Okay. How was yeah, it? I was thinking it, I was thinking it was end of December. So, right. okay, it's January. So, yeah. how, how was that first batch received? And did you know at that time that you were onto something after that first batch? That batch, that first batch of Maduro, that was again when, when we installed our electric as it was written to plans that were approved. Um, and then the inspector <laughs> said, well, they shouldn't have approved them that way. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know that? <laughs> right. you're, you're the, you approve the plans. Am I supposed to tell you don't approve the plans? <laughs> so they so they, they shut our power off um, that batch. And that year, I remember specifically because, um, you know, we don't we have pretty mild winters here. We got a nice cold snap um, that January. And so they shut our power off for like almost two months, I think. And then I finally came back and said, OK, don't change anything here. We'll turn your power back on. Um, but that beer was allowed to just settle on its own. I mean, effectively, we lagered that brown ale for almost <laughs> right, two months, right, right. and it was amazing. I don't know if there's ever been a batch of Maduro as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, it's not it's not economically viable to, right, right. to take two extra months on each beer. Exactly. Exactly. So where did, where did you grow up at, Justin? I don't know if I ever found this I, out. I grew up in the Tampa Bay area, but I was uh, more on the coast than, you know, Tampa proper as Joey was. I, I think I know, but let's share with her. Where was your first commercial brewing gig at? So I actually worked in what I believe to this day is still the first commercial brewery inside an airport in the Orlando International Airport for the Shipyard Brewing Company in the late 90s, early 2000s. Really? I was mostly there bartending. Uh, but then when I realized there was a brewery, and I think it was a 20-barrel system in the airport, um, I was like, man, wait, they're making beer over here? I need to start hanging out on the brewery side. So I would just clean kegs and help uh, you know, help out the brewmaster, Ron Rake, uh, when, whenever I could. And he kind of was my mentor into beer at, quite, you know, quite frankly, uh, allegedly, probably pre-legal drinking age even, I was able working with beer. Nice, nice. But you also had a forte, I believe, also in the distribution side as well, didn't you? Like a foray. Yeah, that. so when I, correct, yeah, I was over in, in Orlando for college. And then when I moved back to Tampa, um, I, I got a job working for a small boutique craft brew distributor. They're no longer around um, Florida Micro Beverage. And um, we were, you know, selling craft beer in Florida in the early 2000s when that wasn't such an easy thing to do, um, but certainly would run into passionate people. And um, a mutual friend of Joey and I's, uh, Matt Abdoni, who I think we all were on great beer together. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. he, yeah. uh, he kind of introduced me to Joey, you know, as we would do tastings um, at Joey's house. And as Joey referenced, you know, shipping beers all over, we didn't have access to lots of great beers. So it was those tastings where we could really try a bunch of different things. And that's kind of where I had met Joey. And I was so excited that a brewery like Cigar City was opening in Tampa. I mean, I was actually volunteering. I was on the very first packaging shift as a volunteer. Uh, I think it was Big Sound Scotch Hill. It was a 15-barrel batch. And I believe it took us 14 hours before we just threw in the towel. There might have been a few barrels left that never got packaged. <laughs> Uh, I was hanging around uh, volunteering after, you know, my route, if you will, on the distribution side. And I just kept telling Joey, hey, when you're ready to hire somebody, I want to be I want to be your guy. So I kind of hung around and worked for free till he kind of had to bring me on to payroll. So, and I've been here ever since. So when do you think that was? Was that uh, 11 or 12? 
Well, no, I was, I mean, March of 2009, when the brewery opened, I was a consumer and a volunteer and an advocate, but I was officially employed in 2010. Okay. So, wow. Wow. It's been that, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Cause I remember because when yeah. I, cause I actually obviously came on board at a certain point <laughs> and we're going to kind of get into that, but like, yeah, I met you, I think 2009, we were doing beer shares together and i was driving all the way from miami all the way to tampa to do beer shares back during the craze which i don't even know if people do that anymore which is it's a different day and age I, now i think craft beer i mean it was a, a lot of fun I, we all still have a lot of relationships from that but yep. you know kind of once you go commercial it's hard to keep chasing that and also though you know joey did reference it earlier but luckily craft beer and great beer is available all over. So it's right. not as hard where you have to have this secret club where we meet at your house, Jonathan, we drive four hours your way to share beers. Right. You come up North uh, to try new things because we, we're getting great beer available everywhere, which is awesome. Right. We're not doing a Veritas vertical on Miami beach at Diego Ganoza's <laughs> house. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I mean, beer has led to so many special memories. Oh that, yeah. What, what you're referencing, of course, is inside baseball but to just to think about it you know we we traded beers around the country we all meet up on the internet so we were internet friends that have now become lifelong real friends and that's the first time ever had kobe beef in my life because you were bringing great beers we were bringing great beers and diego said well i'm gonna buy kobe and cook it for everyone i I think he burnt it um but we still had a great time (laughs) i was was just about to bring that up (laughs) he charred the crap out of that beef He burnt that thing to that a was crisp. My first taste, <laughs> yes, of well done Kobe beef. <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. So true. I, but I have a question for both of you. I mean, obviously, with the landscape that we're in in craft beer nowadays, do you think that you could have started Cigar City and reached a similar level of success in 2023, or was part of that success kind of riding that wave of just craft beer explosion that was happening nationwide at that time yeah so no i don't think you could start and and reach the same level i think it was definitely time and place um you know there's certainly air you know there's always going to be there's always going to be exceptions to the rule there's going to be a brewery that opens this year that that does do very well Uh, but i think the window for sort of rocketing up has probably almost all the way closed right um, because, and, and it's because, you know, the demand is being met now. Right. Um, you know, there, there was such a, you know, I was one of the biggest cheerleaders for, for craft beer and I didn't realize how, how short, you know, how, how the demand wasn't being filled, but it really is being filled now. And, you know, one of the things that I always think about is, um, you know, it, when the people that used to come to our tasting room, you know, they, they would drive to drive miles and miles passing no other breweries. But now if you want to drive to the Cigar City Brewing Tasting Room and you live in Clearwater, you're going to pass several really good breweries on the way. Right. Um, and so you might as well stop at one of those. And I think that's, you know, that that is what's changed in our area um, is just the, the the saturation is is much higher now. Um, and that, you know, it, I always hate this phrase, but, you know, that is a good thing. Um, but it does, it, it does mean that I think you, you know, that the ability to shoot out and be a 50,000 barrel a year plus brewery, um, is, is going to obviously be much, 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 much harder to achieve now. It would be impossible. I think right now, um, to start a distribution brewery. I think you can still right now start a very successful brew pub or, yes. an, you know, yeah. owning your own premise. Yeah. But right now with the choice, with everything yeah. else that is happening in the beverage industry to start a business uh, with your goal of being a regional right. brewery with distribution, it would be a really tough time to do it. And you'd have to be so well capitalized and really patient to hang in there for such a long time. Um, I, I think you can have a successful business, but to grow to the size that we have, or even just, you know, a regional size distribution brewery, you're not already in the game, it would be really tough to jump in right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, because, correct me, I mean, you can plug in numbers here, but when you guys opened, how many breweries 
were opened in Tampa versus back in 09 versus how many breweries are there in that Tampa St. Pete area now? So there's more breweries in Tampa Bay now than there were in the entire state when we opened. And I think by a big number. Right. I think you guys are over a hundred. I think you're over a hundred breweries within yeah. that St. Pete. Yeah. I don't, I think there was maybe, I think there was less than 50 breweries in all of Florida, you know, yep. and still 20 million people at the time. Right. Right. Um, yeah. What's next for cigar city? Like, any new beers, any new beer programs, or any events you guys are particularly excited about coming down the line? Yeah, I mean, our business model has continued to evolve as, you know, the landscape changes and kind of ties right into what we've been discussing right now. We are really, you know, we are a distributing brewery. We're available in all 50 states. You know, Highlight IPA is by far our flagship and most well-known and most popular. And we're really Kind of, we talked about all those great beers and Joey referenced like turning one beer into four or five different beers. But in today's day and age, with great beer being available in so many more places, we're really kind of trimming our focus to really support our flagship. Make sure when people are having Highlight IPA, you know, wherever they are, that it's a great tasting beer. And, and really, you know, making sure that we are still relevant and can stand out in a crowded market. Cause as we leave the Southeast, that's trickier and trickier. Um, so, you know, we are, we're continuing to still experiment and do new beers. And, you know, our Florida man double IPA has been like a seven or eight year overnight success. You know, we had done that one time right. when I think the Twitter account was <laughs> kind of first opened and it's kind of been, and it's something that we've always loved at the brewery. Um, so that has been growing very well for us and, you know, expanding how we're looking at that. But, um, you know, we're continuing to support our brands out at, at retail as well, but we've really had to shrink down the volume because all of our distribution partners, as well as retail partners, they have a lot of choice now. So you're not going to be getting two and three and four and five, you know, et cetera, shelf placements or, or tap handles. Right. So we're getting the team to, you know, really be focused and, and drive distribution for, for fewer brands to go further and deeper. Nice, nice. I really agree because obviously I've seen that as well on my end. Obviously, we're not as big of a model as you guys, but, you know, we still distribute. And it, you have seen the numbers. <clears throat> I, I don't want to say diminish because uh, that's not the right term. But, like, as far as skews go, those numbers have diminished. So the numbers of beers that we're putting out there have gone from 10 to 6 to, like, 4. Now we're down to about, like, three skews that you really get behind and push because those are your core brands and that's that's what you're known for at this point yeah and you know we were talking about just breweries in florida right but i think it's it's relevant you know oh, yeah. don't quote me to the specific but when we started there was less than two thousand breweries in the entire united states right and now what we're just shy of ten thousand right and if every one of those is just putting out two and three skews right but we know that they all are not because right. every we all are into this because we love beer, so we want to have a balanced portfolio. Yep. But the reality is, we can do that at our at our locations. Yep. Um, but we need to find the right beers that have a place in the market where consumers are picking them up on the regular. Yep. Otherwise, we're not doing ourselves or the consumer or the retailers any I mean, good justice. to have things just out there sitting on the shelf. So we really got to focus in what's moving and what connects with the consumers. Right, I think. If I remember correctly, uh, when we went to GABF for our first year in 2015, I think the the census was that we're, there was just shy of 1,800 breweries at that time in 2015. And I think now we're, like you said, just under 10,000. So you're talking in less than a 10-year time span. I mean, we've gained, you know, almost 9,000 breweries in the country. It's crazy. It's crazy number. I mean, but fascinating oh it is it is joey i I did have one last question for you though and it's kind of one of the things because i've obviously interviewed some other guys that have been involved and have you know time in at cigar city but are you are you how do you feel about that like are, are you proud that many former cigar city employees have opened breweries of their own me myself included I mean, is that an important legacy you think you kind of left behind, kind of being that rock 
that everybody kind of learned at and learned from and went out and kind of spread from that? Yeah, I, I honestly, yeah, I do. I think it's really cool. Um, it's not, you know, it's not something I, I, I dwell on or think about day to day basis, but, but when, 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 you know, when it's put to me or it's brought up, I, yeah, I do think it's really cool. Um, and, and, you know, it's, yeah, I look at, you know, I've always told people, I look at cigar city is not who I am. It's something I did. Um, right. but, but I am, you know, I'm proud that, that we've sort of, you know, that, 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 that seed grew into a, to a, a, a fully formed, uh, Oak and, and that, you know, the branches of that, um, you know, lots of other breweries sort of came out of that. I, I yeah, I think it's a, a really cool thing. And, um, I, I won't go as far as say I'm proud of it. Uh, but it, it, I definitely think it's a cool thing. Yeah. Um, because again, you know, it, it, so, some of the guys you're not proud of. Some of the guys you're not proud of. It's okay. I think Joey's being a little humble, though, because one of the things that we lived by at Cigar City was Joey would, you know, kind of preach to us. I would rather somebody opens across the street and makes better beer because that would force us to up our game and make sure we're making a great product. So I think we're very proud of the fact everyone's done it on their own, but the, we're not, I think we're very proud of the fact of the people that have come here, learned you know a lot of things, the right way to do things, and then have gone and opened successful breweries. That's freaking amazing. Yeah. And so much so, you know, I, I don't know that you know that six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but I'm sure there's four <laughs> degrees of Cigar City. Absolutely, in, at least in the southeast, but yep. even internationally. And we're actually we're going to be doing an event here. Um, uh, over Thanksgiving, a family reunion event where we have done some collaborations with people who have left. John, don't worry. There'll be more versions <laughs> of this. You know, we couldn't do uh, the 150 breweries plus. I you want it, you want to Doug Dozark up front first. I hear you. That's all right. <laughs> uh, he turned us down, I believe. Oh, man. Oh, that's so, not true. <laughs> <laughs> Just. One, if you could give a final piece, obviously, because I've been there kind of from the jump and was a part of it, you know, for a small period of time and did small internships because you allowed me to, which was very gracious of you guys. But any advice for anybody opening a brewery nowadays? Because you guys have had a lot of highs and there's been, I I don't know, a lot of lows. I mean, there's been instances of like lows, (laughs) you know what I mean? But... Any advice for anybody trying to open a brewery nowadays? I, I you know, I'm sure just because Justin's he's got his hand more in the game of at you know at, at what's happening on the ground like today now and especially right. at a larger scale. I'd say, you know, it, I'd say think small. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, try to try to focus on selling it in the four walls with the ability to sell package, which you can do in Florida. Yep. Um, if you can self distribute, that helps. But I think in in many ways you got to be more things. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of mentoring some guys now that are open a brewery and they're going to have food, which I think helps. Oh yeah. Uh, but they're going to be kind of, they're going to be like a coffee shop in the morning. Right. Um, so that, so that they can, you know, they could justify being open during the day and still have something to, to create some income. I just think you gotta oh, yeah. be more things to more people. You yep. gotta have, you know, you gotta have more outdoor space. You gotta have, be more of a chill hangout place, um, that offers a wide, as wide as possible, a variety, um, of beverages. Um, the more of the beverages you can make yourself obviously the the better the profit but i just think you you, you got to think smaller and do more yeah. <laughs> unfortunately yeah. because yeah. there's more competition absolutely justin yeah i think you know to touch on you know to add to that um i think you've got to remain creative because the business landscape is ever changing but i say make sure you're entering for the right reasons so many people think think craft beer is cool and uh, you know unfortunately their uncle just died and they got a boatload of money and they want to own a brewery that's the wrong way to, to get into the business and you're not going to be successful to make it. It's a grind. It's a passion. You're spending most of your time cleaning and it's, you know, it's a hell of a lot of fun. We have a lot of friendships and a lot of good times, but make sure you're entering for the right reasons uh, because you're going to have to grind it out to be successful. Hell yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, guys. This is uh, it's been great catching up and uh, we really need to catch up in person. It's, it's been Way too long, man. Not this family reunion, though. No, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Next family reunion. Absolutely. So thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, and we'll supply the Cuban sandwiches. 
Oh, I was going to, I will hold on. I was going to ask. The better Cuban sandwich? Well, I mean, if you want Cuban sandwiches, they have to come from Tampa. I I never said Miami was the best one. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is a community development manager at Movember. Founded in 2003 in Melbourne, Australia. Movember is a global NGO which raises money and awareness for men's health issues such as mental health, suicide, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. To date, donations to the organization have been used to fund over 1,320 men's health projects globally. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Max Skinner. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to speak on men's health, and I know you guys are all about craft brew, but... I think there's a, a lot of synergy and correlation between men opening up and, and having a beer. So absolutely, to get in the weeds. absolutely, man. So um, you're actually joining us from uh, Los Angeles, California. So it's uh, a little bright and early over there, but uh, we appreciate you. So I understand that this whole thing started like many great things do with two friends, two mates in Melbourne, Australia, talking over a few beers. Who are the founders of Movember, and how did the movement get started? Yeah, so Movember was was founded, you know, over two guys having a chat over a pint of beer in Melbourne, Australia. Travis and Adam Garoni, uh, they're brothers. Um, they were just talking about how to bring more awareness to men's health in general. Actually, one of their friends' mothers was battling breast cancer at the time, and they noticed kind of the outpouring of support, love, and, and resources that. Uh, breast cancer awareness was receiving in the month of October, obviously. And simultaneously, they had a friend who was battling prostate cancer. And they thought that there wasn't enough awareness being brought to that disease. And so they kind of wanted to start a movement uh, or start a campaign um, to bring a little more awareness to men's health because they felt like it was being brushed under the rug. And so uh, at the time, they were both rocking a mustache and (laughs) Uh, they they figure right. that could be kind of kind of their icon, just you know the same way the uh, the pink ribbon is a uh, breast cancer awareness icon. They wanted the mustache to kind of be a walking billboard for the cause. So that's kind of the origins of Movember and how it started. So the significance of the mustache is support of the movement. Then correct, yeah, that's that's our icon, man. That's what people recognize Movember and, and men's health for. Um, and it, it was just kind of synergistic in a way with the month of November, kind of cheeky play on words there. Yep, yep. It just felt like it, it made sense, you know? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So what, what is a Mobro? So a Mobro and a Mo sister are one of our supporters. Um, we, we have this huge peer to peer fundraising campaign every year during the month of November. Again, that's kind of our bread and butter. That's where 90% of our fundraising takes place. So our Mo Bros and Mo Sisters are just members of our community that are on the front lines fundraising on, on our behalf. That's awesome. That's awesome. What are the men's health issues that Movember primarily focuses on? Yeah, so back in 2003 when Movember was started, um, so we're, we're celebrating our 20-year anniversary this nice. year, which is nice. super exciting. It's come a long way. Um, but it, it started off focused on, on prostate cancer, as I mentioned earlier, Um, and they partnered with the Prostate Cancer Institute in New Zealand, which was one of our first community health partners that we funded and supported back in 2003. Uh, I think that first campaign 20 years ago was about 30 people getting involved, and it's it's since evolved and and graduated to about 6 million, uh, a network of 6 million supporters over the years. And we've raised over a billion dollars for for various men's health projects and programs, which is – Incredible. But uh, to answer your question, Jonathan, um, started off with prostate cancer. Then we introduced testicular cancer, which is the most common cancer amongst younger men age 18 to 35 uh, shortly after. And then about five years ago, most recently in 2018, we introduced uh, men's mental health and suicide prevention as one of our key focus areas as well. So it's prostate cancer, testicular cancer and and suicide prevention. Yeah, because I'm thinking growing up, I mean, there was always breast cancer awareness always like growing up and there was a lot of you know which is a great cause and for things that really be you know need to be taken care of on that front but there really wasn't a whole lot of light shined on things for the men's side of things 
Correct. And yeah, I mean, obviously the, the breast cancer awareness movement is, is fantastic. Um, yes. But again, I think men were kind of being lost in the shuffle to, to some degree. And, you know, holistically, Movember's all, always been about men's health. Uh, ultimately, we just want men to live, you know, longer, yes. happier and, yep. and, and healthier lives. Right. Yep. And that starts with having conversations like this, being vulnerable, opening it up with your buddies and really being proactive about your own health. Right. You know, talking to your doctor, um, fig- figuring out like, you know, when you're you know genetically predisposed to certain diseases, if you have a family history, all that good stuff. So it's, it's all about being proactive and and having conversations. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, um, it hits home. I mean, I think, I, you know, because we hooked up via email, and it hit home personally for me because of my father having stage four prostate cancer. And then obviously it being in my family that, you know, I think I started at 38 years old having to have <laughs> prostate checks, which is not always the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, at that point, it, it's very, very important. Because, you know, if you stay on top of the game, having your PSA checked, you can get ahead of the curve. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's good to know, again, your family history. It's great that you were proactive about it and got checked out and talked to your doctor. Um, But a lot of people are are kind of in the dark and they might not necessarily know when they're, you know, genetically predisposed. So it's really important to understand your family history and and just be proactive about all of that. Oh, yeah. You never know. Right. I would agree. I think... Right. I mean, there's always that stigma, I think, with men, like, to really not talk about things either. You know what I mean? Not talk about, like, if you do have testicular cancer or prostate or even if you're battling mental health. I mean, it's it's been a stigma for a long time that, like, guys, like, hey, you don't really talk about these things. And, and it's amazing, man. They're, they're all fairly intertwined in a sense. Um, you, know, you talk about cancer and how, how that affects your loved ones and how that affects your mental health. Like, oh, yeah. I think mental health has kind of this overarching umbrella between all the different causes that we are, represent. But you nailed it, man. Like, for whatever reason, men were kind of pre-wired socially to yep. have this, like, masculine guard up, right, where we yep. don't feel comfortable seeking help. We don't feel comfortable talking uh, about our emotions to our friends or family and it's all about being strong, right? We're the right. rock right. to our families. But I think that narrative has shifted over the past few years. I'd like, at least I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, and it seems like men are feeling more comfortable to, to talk about their emotions. So uh, obviously there's a lot more work to be done yeah. though. I, I just think it also takes a community of, of each other. Um, Cause I think that whole narrative was perpetuated by men themselves of being strong, of not showing emotion when you tell your son, stop crying, don't be a wuss, don't be a baby. <laughs> right. I mean, that it, it fucks know. boys up. Like, yeah, you yeah. need to be able to tell your yeah. sons, like, hey, you can talk to me. You can express yourself. Yeah. It's okay for you to feel this way yeah. because then we grow up with people that don't know how to regulate their emotions. Right. Well, it's obviously a conversation I'm going to have to have with my son, you know, because it's in our family. So it's something he's going to have to stay on top of, you know, and not put it to the wayside and like, oh, this is not something I need to worry about. No, this is something you do need to worry about, about down the road, you know, along with mental health and, and other things as well. But yes, I mean, it's, I think there is a massive shift, especially with you guys coming on board. Like, you know, like I said, when I was growing up, it, there was never one of these movements. And now there is, which is a great sign. What are you exactly calling on men to do during this month and then we can get into if you you know aren't participating that way what else you do you know are you asking but specifically the men that want to do this what are you asking them to do yeah ultimately jonathan it's it's all about raising awareness for these issues and and just opening up and having conversations because you'd be amazed at how many people you can impact along the way just by growing a skimpy mustache and it's a great conversation starter. Like we always say there's, there's no mustache too insignificant and right. no conversation too in, insignificant. That's because, right. Rocco. Again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rocco's joining us. So he's going to grow a mustache. He probably hasn't had he, one since like, no, uh, he says he did, can't really grow a uh, facial hair. No, who said, said that? That's okay. Oh, really? You can't? I'm a hair young man. Yeah, oh. Or older man, I should say. Yes. My hey, big issue Rocco, is that. I'm older, so you know, not a gray, right? Uh, gray well, is I mean, sexy. Yeah. I mean, come on, look. Gray is yeah. sexy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Come on. We yeah. like that salt and pepper. Rock, Rocco, it's all good, man. Like I said, sorry, you know, man. The, the, 
the worst worst mustaches start the best conversations. But so. it, it can't be it can't be a beard mustache combination. It's got to be just the stash. That's the that's the signature, right? Yeah, yeah. Ju- just the yeah. stash. I mean, yeah. it's it's thirty days. Like your your yeah. wives and spouses might not love it, uh, but well, you it, know what? A, I'm going to do it, and I'm running the uh, Philadelphia Marathon on November nineteenth. Wow! And I'm going to rock, rock a mustache. Rocco's going to be my here two for our event on the fourth, then as yeah. well. So yes, <laughs> yeah. he is. So, so Carlos I, I and Gus, it. I'm talking to you. We're rocking stashes. For nice, this. nice. <laughs> so for those that obviously starting November first, the deal is that you clean shaven. You, you start clean shaven, whether you started clean shaven already or whether you have full facial hair like myself, you know, uh, you shave everything off and stay clean shaven except for a mustache that you grow over 30 days, which I, I'm probably going to figure out I'm going to have a pretty big mustache in a month. So, you know, which is not a bad thing. I, I mean, I don't mind it. Other people are going to be like, it is a conversation starter, just like you said. Yeah, and... And Rocco brought up a good point about um, participating in, in in the Philly Marathon. Um, we have a whole adventure series uh, where you know we have presence in Berlin, in New York, Chicago. Um, folks can can climb Mount Kilimanjaro on wow. November's behalf if they if they raise a certain amount. So uh, my point is, there's other ways to get involved beyond just growing out of mo. You know, if, if we want to get Maria involved or whoever else, some right. of our mo sisters. Right. Uh, I know Maria, you're, you're committed to the Move for Movember challenge, which is is kind of a physical activity challenge. We always encourage our fundraisers to commit to running or walking 60 miles during the month of November for the 60 men that we lose to suicide every hour around wow. the world. So, wow. if, if you put it into perspective, there we lose a man to suicide every minute. We've been on this call for let's see, 17 minutes now. That's 17 men lost by suicide since we've had this conversation. So it's a staggering number and very sobering, but it's important to know these metrics again, to have these conversations and to be proactive about your mental health. Because it's also affected you personally, Maria, as your father. Uh, Yeah. Last year, last year he was diagnosed with a stage three prostate. Um, And my father's older and he, he's not a person that was ever really sick or, you know, anything. Um, and he's also old school, so... Don't talk about it. He No, he just... He wouldn't tell you if he was in pain or if he was struggling that day or whatever. But at the end of um, the um, the radiation... Chemo, yeah. Uh, it, like, it kicked his ass. But you only saw it at yeah. the end. Yeah. And that that goes back to what we were talking about, about that having that masculine guard up. And that, yeah. that whole generation, I mean, they're, they're tough as nails, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It, it comes with some some consequences as well. But I'm sorry to hear that, Maria. And Jonathan, obviously, sorry about your pops as He's well. He's good. But you, yeah. Okay. Thankfully. I mean, that's, I mean, that's two of the better stories. Like, mine, my father had his prostate fully removed. Mm. So there's obviously things that go along with that. But he's still alive and kicking and still does ski patrol during the season and you know is still (laughs) outdoorsman so he's still you know he's still with us so those are two more of the positive but there are it's still that you know the experience you go through but there are others that don't turn out positive you know what i mean yeah and and there's there's lingering effects to your to your point like post-surgery post-procedure um we actually had one of our top fundraisers from florida um he's from the tampa area he, he flew over to L.A. Uh, the other day for like a big media blitz that we were doing yesterday. And he's a prostate cancer survivor, got prostate cancer 15 years ago and started fundraising. He's raised over like 100K for November since he was diagnosed. Absolute rock star. But we asked him like Bob, Bob Evans is his name. We asked him, um, you know, if he had any advice or what his motivation was for getting involved with November. And he, he said, point blank, I think I was put on this earth to get prostate cancer to help others experiencing the disease. And for us, that kind of floored us because it put everything into perspective and was a great reminder for why, why we do the work that we do. Um, we have this amazing program called the nuts and bolts, uh, program, which basically helps, um, helps men that are experiencing prostate cancer from start to finish, you know, uh, pre-surgery to post-procedure, uh, it kind of takes them through all the steps and, makes them feel like they're part of a community that understands what they're going through. And so that's really what Movember is all about at its core, man. It's community-based change. And um, yeah, really honored to work, work here. Nice, man. Nice. So I think you had alluded to it earlier. How much 
has Movember raised worldwide since its inception in 2003? We've raised over $1 billion oh, for geez. men's health projects wow. in 20 years, which, which is amazing. Uh, annually, we raise about $60 million, uh, between our different markets. So we have our headquarters is in Melbourne, Australia. We have offices in London, in Dublin, Toronto, L.A., and New York. Wow. Um, so it's a, it, it's a global operation. We raise about $18 million in the U.S. per year. And of the, of the funds that we raise, we donate about 78% of that uh, to, to our various community health partners and, and other cancer research projects and programs. Um, and then the other 22% goes to, you know, administrative costs, my yep. salary. Of course, of course. Insurance. Yes, of course. So I, I was, you, had, you had said it, like, but which countries have stepped up the most, do you think, in this participation? Australia obviously is is um, kind of Uno. at the forefront of everything. Yeah, yeah uh, I think the brand recognition for Movember in Australia is it, it far exceeds the brand recognition in the U.S. Unfortunately, I mean we have some work to be you know work to do on the marketing front. I think people recognize the mustache, but a lot of people think Movember is like a social media hashtag or just right. a month long. Thing. Right, right. We're we're a year round organization, um, so it's really recognized in Australia. The UK has a fantastic presence. Canada does a great job. And then US is, is right up there as well. So yeah. to kind of move this along, like we're actually having a Movember event. Obviously, after reaching out to you guys on how to set this up and, you know, what we're doing here, we're actually having, is it 15 or 16 breweries? I think 16, 16 from breweries around the from country. around the country send beer down and a participant being involved from each one of those breweries. Yeah, or participants. We've opened or, or it to participants, their breweries. Yeah. Right. Other, you know, other people. And we actually have barbers coming on site to do the shaves and, you know, or have a DJ here and we're going to do some beer releases. Like we're turning in this into a major event for fundraising cause for the, the movement. Is there still time for business owners and companies to organize something and get involved this year? Absolutely. I mean, listen, it's it's a month long fundraising campaign. Right. And, uh, November technically starts next Wednesday, right. uh, November 1st. But right. there, there's plenty of time and plenty of run- runway to get involved. We we always encourage a lot of brands and companies that we interact with uh, to do, you know, a uh, fundraising campaign within their workplace. Uh, a lot of companies have a, kind of a CSR responsibility baked into their their whole model. And they encourage their employees to, to get involved in a cause. And we have a, a bunch of amazing kind of workplace giving tools and, and, and a toolkit that, that companies can use to start a fundraiser in-house, right? Um, you could host a host an event like you guys are doing, and, and we so appreciate the support there. Uh, we have a whole initiative called Mow uh, Your Own Way, which kind of gives <laughs> our, our community members uh, carte blanche to like raise awareness however they see fit. For example, we had a guy last year, actually, you guys will get a kick out of this, who uh, broke the the Guinness Book of World Records for most skydiving, most times skydiving naked, uh, in support of Movember? <laughs> this man, this man went out there in just literally a mustache and a parachute and That's skydived awesome. naked six, 64 times in the span of 24 hours. That's crazy. Um, okay. And it was all about raising uh, you know awareness for Mo- Movember and men's health. And so just I love that example because it gives you kind of a snapshot into how creative and unique our our community gets. Heck yeah, man! That is awesome. So how did you get involved in this organization? So I've been here for a little over a year. Um, like I said, I, you know, I was touched by suicide over the past decade and uh, been in the nonprofit space for about five years now. I was actually living, living in Boston at the time, uh, running, running my own startup called Thropic, uh, which was like a crowdfunding platform to get younger people more, more active. Um, and then my wife and I got married a couple of years ago in Boston, moved out to L.A. two years ago. This job at Movember opened up and it just felt like serendipity, man. Like uh, right. I'm, I'm on the fundraising team here. We, we, we wear many different hats. Um, but again, it just kind of felt like the right fit, you know, especially when you talk about giving back to mental health. It's are you, really are you, you're originally from Boston. So grew up in Virginia. Uh, okay. Okay. Went to school in North Carolina, a small school called Elon. Met my wife. there. I know. I know Elon and... very well, actually. Oh, I really? Okay. Yes. Yep. People out here think it's like Elon Musk's no, starter school no, no, or no. something. No, I know. I know the school very well, actually. That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. Met my wife down there. She dragged my ass up to Boston. We lived there for seven (laughs) years and then had to get out of the cold. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. 
So I, do you have any tips for our listeners who want to get started on growing that mustache come next Wednesday? I mean, believe it or not, I know I, I don't have a great mustache right now, but I can turn one around in 48 hours. I got a little Italian French blood in me. Um, <laughs> but if, if, you, if you aren't blessed with, uh, you know, nice, uh, nice, deep, heavy whiskers, right. um, again, like there's no, there's no two ways about it. Like if you grow a tiny little skimpy mustache or whatever it might be, handlebars, Fu Manchu, right. um, it's honestly whatever you want to do with it and however you want to run with it. That's awesome. I, again, you know, uh, the, be- the, the skimpier mustaches make the best conversation. The so. wisp, the and, wisp. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, even, I mean, even if you had some grays in there, like Rocco, I'm sure is going to have a lot of grays. I mean, we, we just say go all natural. We're not trying to put like, uh, what is it? Just for men. Just no, for men. Just no, for no men. coloring. Like no. the dark the black. Shoe, that the shoe polish. I like the shoe polish. None of that. None of that. You, you can. I mean, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But uh, yeah, we, we like to encourage all natural. I mean, look at George Clooney. You saw him, Pepper. Yeah. You well, can do I, it. I mean, there's still guys out there that use the, the just for men. That I know. It looks oddly weird. You know, this, this dark know. facial hair. But anyways. Can you give our listeners the website so that they know where to donate or if they want to participate, where to join up? Yeah, absolutely. It's just Movember.com. If you're, if you're in the U.S., it'll auto-populate to us.movember.com. Right. Go to the website, sign up. Even if you don't plan on fundraising, you'll be you know entered and funneled into our communications funnel. So you'll receive right. information about all of our causes, where the funds are going, all that good stuff. So yeah, just Movember.com. Sign up. Create a Mo page. And fund, you know, fundraise or just raise awareness for men's health and just open up and have conversations with your friends, check in with them, see how they're doing. That's what we're all about here. And yeah, we appreciate the support. Yeah. And you can also come check us out if you're in Miami. If you're in South Florida. Because we'll be having a Movember event here. And as an organization ourselves, in correlation with the 16 other breweries, we will be doing month-long fundraiser that will start on the 4th. And all the participants will be, you know, will be... We'll be putting collages together weekly of the facial hair growth to keep everybody still stimulated and going into that. So we are going to be doing a major push here, so you can check us out here. But if not, please go to the website. Please check them out. Please get involved if you can, and let's really push this initiative. Absolutely. Thank, thank you guys so much for, for the opportunity today. Uh, always a pleasure to speak on men's health, and thank you for the support with your events really goes a long way. We appreciate having you all in our Anytime, corner. man. Thanks, Anytime. Max. This is going to become an annual thing, so you'll be hearing from us again. So let it. me know about the April thing and, like, what we're doing for the April testicular. You know what I mean? For sure. <laughs> absolutely. We'd oh love for God. you guys to be the pioneers for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Max. It's, uh, it's been an awesome pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. Yep. That's it for this week. We'd like to thank our guests, Joey Redner, Justin Clark, and Max Skinner. Our host, Jonathan Wakefield, our producer, Rocco Reggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.